We are almost uh, ready to finish up the book of Romans. We're going to be working in chapter 15 this morning. And I just want to tell you this morning that next week we'll be in 16 and we will be finishing up 16. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time there uh, because it's mostly just names of people that Paul is acquainted with and he's encouraging uh, the, the, the believers in Rome to be in prayer for these folks and etc. 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 So one more sermon in the book of Romans after today and then we're going to be moving on to the book of Job. We're not going to be doing the whole book. If we did that it would take all of our lifetimes put together <laughs> probably to get to the end of it. It's, it's, again it's one of those books of the Old Testament that is very rich and very deep uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing it. I've already started reading stuff several months ago in preparation for this. Uh, we're uh, we're going to be doing studies in Job, not the whole book, but uh, we're going to hit most of the highlights or as many of the highlights as we can in a reasonable amount of time. So please be in prayer for your pastor in regard to this, because obviously if you know anything about Job, it's not necessarily the easiest book in the Bible to, to understand. <laughs> So pray for God's enlightenment for me, and not only for me, but for all of us as we go through this important Old Testament book uh, over the next period of time. Okay, we are in Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 33, so let me read those this morning. This is the reason why I have so often uh, been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and, I, uh, and, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing uh, aid to the saints for Macedonian Achaia have been pleased, Achaia is Greece, by the way, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be, uh, be of service to them in material blessings. Whenever, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain uh, by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you. Amen. Obviously, Paul has planned to come to Rome, and he's alluded to this a number of times already through the book. He's planned to come for Rome. He's had a passion, has had a desire to come to Rome. Uh, for some time now that we know that up to this point it has not been part of God's plan for Paul to do that. Uh, one of the things that I hope that we have come to understand is this, is Paul as he is 
He's been on his missionary journeys. Basically, the only thing he's done is he's followed the path that is opened up by him or for him by the Holy Spirit. When you study the missionary journeys of Paul and how extensive they were and in all kinds of ways, we need to understand something, that he was following the leading of, of the Holy Spirit everywhere he went. There were times when the Holy Spirit, as alluded to in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit prevented him or told him not to enter into particular areas because there's not areas that were ready for the gospel. And really, that needs to be the way that you and I approach our lives. We need to be always willing and desiring to be led by the Holy Spirit and to follow the avenue that he guides us through in life. Paul has done that, and, 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 and for many reasons, as well as that, Paul can't really claim any credit for anything that he's done. We've seen that. He doesn't want any credit for anything that he's done. Because he knows that it's God that has been doing all of it through him. That God is the one that deserves the honor and the credit for anything good that Paul's accomplished. Paul has planned to come to Rome, but ministry in other places has gotten in the way. To this point, it has not been part of God's plan. Many of you remember Paul Kalfa, dear brother. He used, to, he used to fill in for me most of the time when we were down in the community center when I wasn't here. He was a seminary student and someone that we knew and were familiar with, and his, his wife, Lisa. And uh, he and Lisa were actually here, a part of Springs Church, for a couple of years, several or many years ago now. And he left here, and became the senior pastor of a church up near Jacksonville. Uh, after the first couple of weeks after he left her, he called me one day and he said, Keith, he said, I didn't realize. Uh, he said, I didn't realize how many things there were to do. I didn't realize how many things there were that had to be done. The first time, now Paul had been a pastor of a little teeny tiny church that had like 10 people in it for just a very short period of time before that. But now he's in a full-blown congregation that has hundreds of people in it. And the light comes on. I just want to challenge you with this idea this morning is, is none of, no one in this room can, can, can really understand the shoes that I walk in. And I don't say this because I want you to be impressed with me or anything like that. I just want you to understand something. I had a career. This is my second career. And the thing about being a pastor, and I can relate to Paul, is this, is it goes with you wherever you go. It's not a profession that you go to do your job in the daytime and you go home at night and then, and then you, you have this interim where there's not thoughts and there's not prayers and there's not concerns and there's not this, that, or the other. It is a life it consumes your life. Paul being consumed by that has prevented him from doing things like he wanted to do, like going to visit the church in Rome. 
He's been occupied with other very pressing, important matters that the Lord has brought to his door to deal with. That is ministry. There is never a time when there's not something. So I just say this to you this morning so that you'll be in prayer not only for me, but be in prayer for everyone that you know that serves in this capacity. Not only for them, but for their wives too, because you need to understand that when, when men are called to be pastors, their wives are called right along with them. They are very much a part, an active part of the ministry that they're called to. What I'm telling you this morning is this, is there's always too much to do. Always too much for any person to do it all. It's an impossibility. That's why it's important for, to have a church congregation that is active. And I love you guys for a lot of reasons. And one of these is this, is you understand and you practice this. The vast majority of you, the idea that God has called you to be a minister to all of those around you. I don't have to worry about anybody being completely forgotten. I have no doubt that all, all, many of you have been praying and you've been thinking about Avis over the last few days and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're not on the prayer team, you ought to be, especially if you have a lot of empty time on your hands with nothing to do. Do it. It'll bless you in all kinds of ways. But ministry itself has hindered Paul from doing something that Paul really, 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 really wanted to do. But Paul understood this, that that was God's will and purpose. And we know this above everything else. That's what Paul wanted to do, was what God wanted him to do, when and how he wanted to him to do it doesn't mean that Paul didn't have some personal passions and desires that he would like to see fulfilled, but ultimately the deciding factor in ministry in every way was what God's will and purpose was, not what Paul wanted. Because these things are true, every pastor has to set priorities, which means this, when you set priorities, then there are going to be occasions when people get missed. It's just going to happen. Not anything anybody plans, not anything anybody wants to happen, but they're going to feel, there are going to be people in the congregation at times who feel slighted because something major going on with them or, this, or, or one of their family members or whatever seems to have kind of fallen under the radar and they're not getting any attention and they haven't gotten a phone call and you know, this, that, and the other. I want to say this to you. You need to understand something. I do this every single week. I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for everyone in this congregation. I pray for your children and your grandchildren. I do that faithfully every week. Thank you. 
And I want to apologize to you if there's a time when you feel like you've got a major crisis going on in your life and your expectation is that I call you or something like that and for some reason I don't, please don't be hurt by it. Don't. Every person in this room is equally important as everyone else. But again, I just want to encourage all of you to be a living family that knows what's going on with other people in the church and fervently praying for those people and, uh, and, and communing with those people. It's very easy for us to form cliques where we have little groups of people in the congregation that we're really close to, and if we do anything socially, we do them with those particular people and this, that, and the other. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it is wrong if you're doing that in lieu of doing anything else. You follow me? We're family. We need to be a family. Everybody in this room is important. Everybody in this room is equally important. All the people that are not here this morning are equally important. At this point, Paul has been on the mission field about 10 years. He seems to have accomplished a whole lot in 10 years. He's planted churches all over uh, Macedonia, all over Greece. We know this, uh, as we've alluded to just uh, last, last sermon, was that he actually, you know, we look at the book of Acts and we have sometimes have this idea that this is all of the ministry that the apostle Paul did in his lifetime is recorded here in this particular book. Uh, and we have reason to believe that just isn't true. There, there, were, there was actually parts of Paul's mission ministry that are not in Scripture. <laughs> Uh, we just have a tidbit of it. Just like with Jesus, do you think we have every word that Jesus ever said recorded in the Gospels? I mean, we have snapshots. We have snatch, snapshots of the ministry of Jesus. We have snapshots of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We have good reason to believe that he made it as far as uh, Illyricum, which was a Roman province on the, on the Asiatic Sea between Greece and Italy. That Paul had come that close. You know, he's talking about just a few hundred miles from there to Rome. He'd come that close to Rome. But he had never actually made it there. Well, Paul has a vision. And he really believes this, that he's come at that point in his ministry where he's accomplished all the things that God wanted him to do in those places. And his focus is beginning to shift. As Paul has already said just a few verses before, and that is that his practice was to go to virgin soil as far as the gospel goes. He didn't go to places where, following on the heels of other evangelists. He went to places where the gospel had never been heard. He has Spain in his heart. 
He doesn't need to go to Rome to plant a church. There's already one there, and it's doing quite well without Paul. We don't know exactly who and how the church in Rome was planted, but we have good reason to believe from the books of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, there were people from Rome who were there that witnessed the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles, etc., 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 and they left after Passover, and they went back home to Rome. Probably the way the form or the church in Rome began to form. But Paul has this desire to see the gospel reach to the very ends of the world. You need to understand, in those days, they believed Spain was it. You couldn't go any further to the west from Spain. That was the end of the world, as far as they knew. But he's hoping that his, he makes his way to Spain through Rome, that the Roman church will not only receive him, but they will assist him. There's a sense in which Paul is calling upon them to partner with him as he goes to do ministry in this distant place. But again, remember that Paul's heart was for doing what God wanted him to do, and he was, again, his whole, you, you can map out his whole ministry. He was, the only thing he did in ministry was follow the path that the Holy Spirit opened up for him. And that's something that we all need to take to heart. Because God has given all of us a mission. Every one of us. And we need to follow the mission paths the Holy Spirit opens up for us. Before Paul goes on to Rome and then to Spain, there's something very important he feels like he's compelled to do. One of the things he's been doing on his third missionary journey in, in Greece and Macedonia was he was raising funds, not for his ministry, but as a gift that he could carry back to Jerusalem for famine relief for believers that were living in Jerusalem. There's a great famine. You very often see that and happen in the Promised Land. There was a great famine that had fallen upon the land, and there were Christians in Jerusalem and Judea that were starving to death. So Paul has been raising money. Now, let me just give you a little geograph uh, geography lesson here. Where Paul is, we think he was writing Romans when he was in Corinth on his third journey. Seems to be the most logical time for Paul to be writing this letter. At that point, Paul was much closer to Rome than he was to Jerusalem. It would have been a lot easier on the Apostle Paul to leave Corinth and go on to Rome and then on to Spain. But instead of doing that, Paul is determined that first of all, he's got to go back to Jerusalem over a thousand miles in the opposite direction. Which will take him 
perhaps months to get there. Now, we live in a day where we can travel a thousand miles in a day easy in an airplane. Now, we're going back to the day where, you know, if you, even on a boat, you know, you're talking about sailing ships. They're not so very fast. My, my, my reason for bringing this to your attention, so you'll understand that Paul, what Paul is, uh, is going to do, he considers to be extremely important and worthy of very great sacrifice on his own part. It would have been easier, far easier for Paul just to continue on to the West. Very often, ministry is, is kind of separated into two entities. One of those is diaconal, and the other is spiritual. And I want to challenge us with the idea this morning that very often people believe the spiritual is really the important part, and if the diaconal gets done, that's an okay thing. That was not Paul's perspective on things. He understood that both of them were extremely important. That is why he felt compelled to carry this gift all the way to Jerusalem. It was important enough to Paul to do that. He even alludes here to the idea that he's, he's, he's kind of thinking that maybe when I get there that I'm even going to be arrested. Which, in fact, is what happens. Paul will eventually make it to Rome after he spends years under arrest in Judea. And only after he makes a personal appeal, because he was a Roman citizen, to Caesar would he ever make it to Rome. He'll eventually do that, and he'll be in Rome for years until he's executed under the reign of Nero. Paul was beheaded about A.D. 65, and where we're reading here is he was writing about 56. 57. So you're talking about seven years are going to transpire between the time that Paul's writing this letter and he's actually executed in Rome. Being a deacon sometimes can be one of the most frustrating jobs in the church. I know that because I was a deacon before I was an elder. And when we came here, we were determined to let the deacons do what deacons are supposed to do. Diaconal work is critical, essential to the ministry. And there's a special office of guys that God has set apart to be the deacons. You oversee things like mercy ministry. They're very much appreciated. Very often it's a very thankless job. When was the last time you walked up to one of the deacons and gave them a big hug and a kiss and thanked them for doing the work they do? It's difficult. Sometimes they're having to make decisions whether we give money to this, that, or the other ministry. And it's hard for us to figure out because we get 
requests for support all the time. We can't support everybody. We understand that. So we, one of their big jobs is to kind of dig through the heap and try to figure out the ones that God really wants us to be a part of. So please, if you have a, this perspective that, that you know, the, 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 the real work of the church is strictly the spiritual aspect, the teaching and the preaching and that kind of thing, then you need to change your picture a little bit. That loving each other and those around us through things like mercy ministry is a very big part of the work of the church. And Paul understood that, and you and I need to understand that. Paul was commissioned by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Jesus described his ministry to Ananias, who was in Damascus, who was going to pass this on to Paul, that, uh, that, that, that Paul was Jesus' chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And at the same time, Paul was a Jew himself. That would have been a monumental, unbelievable concept. You need to understand that. Most Jewish people believe that they had full and absolute claim to Christ and the Gentiles didn't enter into the picture anywhere except they were going to suffer God's judgment. So it was a revolutionary kind of idea. Even though we do see... Even to the, in the Old Testament, there were, there were non-Jews, non, there were people who were Gentiles who were accepted and included into the community of God. You understand that, right? It's always been God's plan. It's not like the, the Gentiles were an afterthought, as a lot of people believe. It's always been in God's plan, and it's very easy to demonstrate in this in Scripture. Part, part of it was to save not all of Israel, but some of Israel, but at the same time, not to save all Gentiles, but, all, but also to save some Gentiles. It's always been part of God's plan, and Paul has argued this over and over from Old Testament Scripture all through this book. And I always remember Ephesians chapter 2 when it comes to this. Christ has broken down any dividing wall between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. We are one body today, not two separate bodies that are kind of loosely connected. But we all are under the banner of Christ. In verse 27... Paul alludes to the idea that Gentiles might sometime want to give consideration to the fact that they really should feel blessed by and be a blessing to Jewish people. Why? Because it was through them that the gospel came forth. Jesus was a Jew. Paul was the Jew, a Jew. The other apostles were Jews. I don't know if anybody in here has any Jewish blood flowing through their veins at all. There may be some. 
But I would imagine most of us classify ourselves as Gentiles. There's a sense in which you and I need to be very appreciative, especially to Jewish believers. There's a sense in which Paul is alluding to here that there's a sense in which Gentile believers are indebted to some degree to the Jews. Because if there were no Jews, there was no gospel, and that means there would be no Gentile believers either. No Jews, no Jesus, no gospel, no Gentiles. Paul is hoping that the church in Rome will, will partner with him in regard to the mission to Spain. He doesn't come right out and say it, but based upon what he does say here, it's easy to conclude that he's hoping that the, the Roman church perhaps will become a sending church. One that will help fund. Did Paul have expenses? Did his ministry have expenses? Could, could Paul be a tent maker at times? Did he ever do that? Yes, he did. But the bulk of the ministry of Paul, he depended upon the people uh, to support him in ministry. There's this underlying purpose here, it seems, that Paul is writing to Romans with the idea and the hope that they will actually partner with him in this mission. To help fund it. Maybe send some people with Paul. We can never forget the Great Commission. Go forth to Rome. Is that what it says? <laughs> Go forth into all of the world. Every nook and cranny of the world. Now, quite obviously, we can't all pick up and go to places, right? Just can't do that. But it doesn't mean that we cannot be an active, living, breathing participant when it comes to the Great Commission. And we can fulfill the Great Commission right where we're at. There, are there people around here that need to hear the gospel? Yeah. People in your family, maybe. People in your neighborhood. People you're associated with one way or another. Some of you still work. Those people you work with. That sort of thing. We all have a mission field. We're all supposed to be actively involved in reaching out with the gospel in that mission field. Now, Alex is going to have the whole Marine Corps as his mission field for soon. There you go, brother. <laughs> we are a denomination that loves foreign missions. 
mission to the world, our mission sending agency. As I speak, we have over a thousand missionaries in different places all across this planet, and that's a large undertaking for a denomination our size. Some of the missionaries that we support are associated with Mission to the World. Some of them are not. The Swansons are, and the Cobbs are. The other people we support aren't. So I think we have a little bit of a view of foreign mission work that goes beyond just denominational works. Some of you don't realize that, but we are, Michael and Cindy, sending church. They are missionaries from Springs Presbyterian Church. They're not supported by MTW, etc., etc. We are their home church. Some of you know that when I first became a believer, I wanted to be a foreign missionary. My passion was to go to Uganda. That's what I wanted to do. It didn't work out that way. And I believe it worked out according to God's plan, not my plan. That's what my plan was. It didn't happen. All, mission, all, all Christians can't become foreign missionaries, but we can support foreign mission works. And I hope everyone is doing that. Unfortunately, what happens is this. Is churches make up budgets every year. And I think part of the reason they have problems sometimes is because of the, 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 the methodology they use in creating their budget. I really believe this, that the only proper basis for a church developing a budget is this, is to ask the question, what do we believe God wants us to do? Not to sit down and try to figure out how much money is going to come in this year so we can then sit down and kind of divvy it up. So that things come out on the other end without going over budget or under budget. That is entirely the wrong way of developing a church budget. And I believe that my whole lifetime. And I hope I, I never give up on that. Let me tell you something. When we start having trouble is when we have people who begin to make speculations and projections about, you know, how much came in there and think this is, this is, and whatever. The fundamental question for us every year is this, is what would God have us do? It's his job to bring the money in. It's our job to be faithful in doing what he's called us to do. I really believe, honestly, that that's one of the reasons why we have never had any financial problems here. Ever. Never. We're debt-free. We've never owed anybody any money. We have never gotten a bill that we didn't have the money to pay it. Johnny on the spot. It has never happened one time in 26 years. Now, let me say this. A few years ago... We got kind of in a financial bind. 
to the point that we had to start cutting some things. And unfortunately, you see, this is what happens here. Like the, you know, the first place that the churches start looking at when it comes to budget cuts is mission work. And it happens almost every time. You know, that's something we can cut, and it's not going to affect the community here much. So we, but we decided that we're going to have to make some budget cuts. But let me just tell you something. Before we cut the salary of any missionary, I took a cut. Carolyn took a cut. The reason being, because I want the message to go out to them, is we're not asking you to do something we're not willing to do ourselves. Let me just tell you this, too. You know, there are very often people, a lot of the people I'm at Presbyterian, if they knew what I got paid here, they'd think that I was working like a pauper. Seriously. But I can tell you this, that Lori and I, just like the church, we have never, ever gotten bills that we were not able to cover. Ever. I mean, we need to be sensitive to foreign missionaries and understand that what they do is really, really important. And if we expect them to cut back, there's no reason why we shouldn't expect ourselves to do the same thing. I mean, it hurt them, don't get me wrong, but don't you think it probably made that hurt a little bit less hurtful? I mean, I can give you example after example of, uh, of MTW missionaries, and I think this is an important thing, is every four years they come home for a whole year on what's called furlough. That furlough is supposed to be a time for them to get some spiritual rest and renewal and uh, you, you know, re reconnect with people that they know and love but haven't been able to spend much time with them, family and friends and church members they know and you know, that sort of thing. But... but what most of them do when they come home is their time is consumed with making up, raising money to cover the deficit created because of churches and people who promised to give them money who failed to do so. I mean, the Swansons were just home for a year. The cops were just home for a year. What do you think they spent their time doing? Getting reacquainted with family that they had to leave to go to France? Spending time with friends and spending time in their church family that's here? They spent most of their time raising money that should have come in already because it was promised and it wasn't given. And Paul is hoping that the Roman church will partner with him 
in ministry. Let me ask you something. Do you think Paul deserved a little time off? You don't see any mention in Scripture of Paul taking two weeks to go here, there, or yonder, or just to relax and do this, that, and the other, that kind of thing. He was consumed with ministry. His life was consumed with it. Now, there were some things with him that made it easier. He didn't have it. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. So he didn't have all that family. We do know he did have some family. He had a sister and he had a nephew and didn't seem that even his family at all was very big. But the ministry, the mission field was Paul's life. Did Paul deserve some time off? <laughs> had he earned some time off? But you just don't see that with him. But one of the things Paul is looking forward to is this, is for the first time, if he gets to Rome, for the first time he's going to be in a place where he hasn't been actively spearheading the mission movement in 20 years. place where he can take his shoes off and kind of kick back and let other people do the ministry. He's looking forward to it. Looking forward to that time of rest that he knows he's going to have in Rome. But God has other plans. Things are not going to get better. Things are going to get more difficult and more restrictive. Roughly seven years will transpire between the time that Paul writes this letter and he's executed in Rome. And what you're going to find with Paul is even though he was, for most of that time, restricted, some of it he was actually had really great freedom. You know, when he was in Rome, he was able to do a lot more than you might think, being under arrest like he was. But even in this letter, you're going to see Paul's real heart show through. And it was not for Paul. It was for the church. He asks the church in Rome to pray for him. But as he begins to close this letter, he... Praise for them. 
a short little benediction. May the God of peace be with you all. Do you know that God of peace? You know that peace that comes in having Christ as your Savior and your Lord? I hope you do. There's no place like it on earth. There is no other place of peace on earth. Or in the new world to come. than in God's kingdom. In these short few words, Paul is truly hoping to be a blessing to the believers in Rome. They are undergoing severe persecution that is going to ramp up They are in desperate need of peace. And the only thing the Apostle Paul can offer them is that peace that comes in Christ. Amen. Next week, we will be wrapping up Romans.